Welcome back to Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd, Thomas Strance here live from the mobile Kintech studio at Rogers Arena on a game day. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street or Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. Calm. Now joining us, she covers the NHL for The Athletic. She is Shayna Goldman. Shayna, thanks as always for doing this. How are you today? I'm good. Thanks for having me. Uh, are you excited for the Hughes Bowl? As excited as we are here in Vancouver? Yes, absolutely. It definitely is one of those like marquee matchups to watch on the schedule, which is nice because I feel like some nights the schedule underwhelms, when it, especially when <laughs> it's like throwing up a million hockey games at us. So it's nice. like You can easily look at it and your eyes are drawn to that one. Yeah, especially it's it's pretty remarkable, not just the novelty of having three brothers in the same game, but you look at the, you know, the season Quinn Hughes is having. We all know what Jack Hughes can do. Luke Hughes as a rookie. They're not just elite players in their own rights. It also feels like they're all kind of pushing. They're on kind of the cutting edge of what elite players can do in the NHL in their own way. Yeah, absolutely. And, like, we've seen, you know, brother v. brother bulls, and they can get overhyped, but – it's nice when they can actually deliver. And, like, you look to last week's schedule and you see it's Brady and Matthew Kachuk bringing the heat, and the game wasn't as exciting, um, you know, for, like, the right reasons. But it still brought the chaos, which is what we all clamor for constantly. But then you have this, and it's, you know, that is a true skill, skill v. skill matchup. But here, I feel like it's to the highest degree. You have legitimately three players who could be in trophy contention, um, one of which maybe in two trophies with Quinn in the heart and the Norris conversation. Uh, it's exactly what you could want. It is this fast-paced, up-tempo, skilled matchup. The only thing that would take it up a notch uh, is if one of them could play goaltender too, just so we could have a skilled all three positions. <laughs> but it really is. It's like this is the the modern-day superstars going up, you know, head-to-head-to-head. And it's, it's all so interesting because they have personalities on top of it. You know, like you're getting the skill and the personality that you want to invest your time in this. Shana, Canucks fans probably have a good handle on what Jack Hughes can do, how he can hurt you, but maybe not so much on on Luke Hughes. How impressive has his first full season been to this point? What are some aspects that Canucks fans watching the game tonight should be, you know, on alert for? It's like all the things people love about Quinn and Jack you have in Luke, which is so impressive and cool. Like you have these speedy, up-tempo players who can all move the puck and and can compete in the modern game and lead the way in it. Luke Hughes is super impressive because, you know, they have Dougie Hamilton pre-injury that he's not this number one offensive defenseman. And sometimes that can block, you know, a block a player's path to a role that maybe they're more cut out for. But in his case, I feel like it's kind of supported him the right way because they have someone if they need to leverage in a tougher situation who plays a similar game. But this is someone who popped off so much. They put him on power play one with Jack Hughes, and you're going to see him if the game goes to overtime in situations with Jack as well. This is just someone who's a really good skater, a really good offensive force, can play both sides of the lineup and did, you know, in his college experience and, he just moves the puck so well, and he has a lot of like creativity and a lot of gutsiness to his game, just like his brothers, that makes him all the more high event and all the more you know exciting to watch. Are there things he has to work on? Absolutely, like his awareness sometimes in situations on where he isn't on the ice. I think that that'll come with experience, just playing at this level of the speed. But 
the early takeaways are so bright that it makes him part of this marquee matchup and not just like a, a tag along, which sometimes can be the case. Travis Green returns running the power play for the New Jersey Devils. He was fired by the Vancouver Canucks' head coach two years ago to the day, um, a storyline which would be tantalizing if it wasn't obscured by the Hughes Bowl, uh, which we're calling the Tostitos Hughes Super Bowl, by the way. Um, (laughs) What has been the key to the Devils' success five-on-four to this point? The fact that they're scoring on a power play is a step in the right direction for a team that has struggled there for so many years. Last year under Andrew Burnett, they turned it around after years under Mark Recchi of it just being outright bad. Um, and it's one coaching to the skill they have, little combination of both that's working for them so much. But the power play has been so important to them because it's been an area they can rely on for goal scoring, which hasn't always been the case. And that's made up for the fact that their five on five goal scoring isn't where it should be. Uh, the offensive creation could be better at five on five, but the finishing just hasn't been there. So the fact that it's, you know, going so much at five on four has been a huge plus. Uh, they raced out to this really impressive start on the power play this season. And you see just the combination of skill that they have. It's guys like Jack Hughes, who is a passer and a shooter and an elite puck mover. You have Luke Hughes often on that unit. You have Tyler Toffoli, who is the finishing talent that they've been missing who pairs so well with Jack Hughes at at even strength and on the power play. And the chemistry is like transferring over. You have guys like Brat, a a really good playmaker. And then, you know, now you have someone like Nico Heischer back in the mix, who they were missing for so much time. They have options for power play one and power play two, which is impressive too. But um, their start was not sustainable on the power play, which is the one thing I think that's important to note. And the goal scoring way outpaced expectations. And then when Hughes got hurt, their expected goal generation was among the worst in the league, and they still had the finishing to, you know, prop it up. You, you're kind of seeing it level out a little bit more, but it's still a definite strength. It's just this is probably not going to be like Edmonton 2.0 from last year. Like, I think it'll be a good power play, but just not to that level. What do you make of the Devils season overall, Shana? Because, you know, they had, the, they had the breakout last year. They win a playoff series after spending a ton of years kind of at the bottom of the standings. And I think a lot of people, you know, myself included, kind of just expected them to be in that perennial, you know, playoff threat to go deep mix uh, for a long time, given the young talent that they had. And look, there's still lots of time left in the in the year. They could easily get back to being that team. But, you know, right now, seventh place in their division, just a, a hair above 500 for the season. What are you seeing and, and what, what should be cause for concern for the Devils right now? I mean, you're seeing a good team. You're seeing a team that has a good core that they locked up before their window started for the most part. Like, you're seeing them build on last year's success in some ways while dealing with the major injuries. And that's a huge theme. You lost Jack Hughes for a bit. They lost T-shirt for a bit. Now they're without Dougie Hamilton. So you're dealing with all that. I think the biggest storyline though, is their goaltending. And it's not a place they should want to be. They were there two years ago where it was like, if they could just get an average goaltender, then look at where they'd be. Oh, it's 15 points up to standings. Like it was so bad. It was such a decider for them. And even though there was definitely progress below the surface, you didn't notice it because you noticed the goaltending and you noticed that games would spiral out of control super easily. They're just not where they need to be in net this year. And it's tough because, you know, you could look at this and go, well, this is a situation they should have anticipated. Look at, you know, what they went into the season with. But it was a calculated risk, I think, going into the season that way because we're seeing some teams actually get by with average goaltending. It's the takeaway how many teams took from the Golden Knights winning. And some teams can actually afford to do that. And I think the Devils are one of them because 
they play such a strong possession game that they don't force their goalies to do much, that they don't need to invest. And, you know, they didn't need to spend all the money and all the assets in the world to bring in a Connor Hellenbuck. Like, I don't think they're built that way that they need that. But considering the differences in their blue line from last year and just also the uncertainty from the two they have, there was risk to it. But they have time to fix it, which is the bright side. But you can see right now, Akira Schmid has been their better goalie. The game against San Jose, I don't have the words for that. I I don't understand uh, what <laughs> was going on with the goal. I don't understand when anybody plays the Sharks anymore because the games have become so unhinged in either direction. And I think everybody just stops playing because they're like, oh, it's the Sharks. We don't need to care. But like, hey, you kind of do. So that one aside, Schmidt has been average, which is nice. Let's go for a 1B. But Vanacek is the 1A they bet on. And he's been disastrous. Nothing short of it. And the concerning part is that this is not something new. You could look at his season last year and go, wow, that's super impressive, a career year. And that's great and wonderful. But he started to fall fall apart at the end of the season. And maybe you thought, well, it's the expended workload. Oh, maybe it's weighing on his game. And then he was also bad in the playoffs, which is a little playoff experience at this point, but none of it's good. So you start to put the pieces together and have to wonder if the beginning of last year was actually the outlier of his career, that really good streak. And the start of the season is kind of pointing towards that. So you have to wonder... If it's on the player, is it the goaltending coach situation? Like, is there more there? I don't know the answer to that because goaltending is a really weird position. But it's bad, and it needs to be addressed sooner than later. And now with the Hamilton injury and the already existing need for a penalty-killing defenseman, like, good luck to management. It's probably time to get a little bit busy and figure out how to fix this. Shana, can you tell the difference between a successful zero-goalie build and a not successful goalie build going into the season because me and Dom LeCision, our, our fearless colleague at the athletic beloved in this market, um, <laughs> um, had a bet prior to the season on the LA Kings. And my, my bet was simply predicated on like, we don't know that they haven't made the right bets. We just don't know. Cam Talbot could be totally fine. And you know, he, he thought that they were positioned poorly um, obviously that's worked out, but it hasn't worked out for the Devils. And yet going into the season, you know, like Akira Schmid versus Vanacek or Copley versus Talbot. Like, can you tell the difference between those two? Not really. I mean, the thing right? with it is like you're working with these like weird samples. Because mm-hmm. normally we could talk about like, oh, well, this goaltender has done X for their whole career. But like Vanacek has a small sample of experience schmidt has way too small to i think have a full understanding of who he is at this level and yes i know goalies have careers prior to this point but like it's different at the nhl level we need to talk about that um and with copley again one small sample too like it was good but as a 1b i think he's very steady in la but they upgraded for a reason midway through last year you know with corpus allo the problem with Cam Talbot is we can't look at his entire career because goalies age in such an odd way. And yes. we don't understand it because we don't understand goaltenders. And you have someone that you could say, well, he played behind a really bad defense in Ottawa and he was just slightly below average. Like That's not super concerning. What about behind a good defensive team like the Kings, one of the best? But you also have the knowledge of what he did in Minnesota. And in that last year, he was bad in the second half of the year, mm. which is why Flurry got more starts. So it's kind of complicated because then you're saying like, well, is he not good? Is he a, a, someone that's better behind a more chaotic defense? He thrived behind that in Edmonton and New York, but that was a different phase of his career. And then you could also be like, 
we really don't know what he is at this point in his career. So it's a risk, and they're probably going to have to upgrade at some point. It's so hard to understand goaltending. And then to now understand how a goalie will look behind a different team, not just the same team they've been on, makes it all the more convoluted. So it's so hard to like guess which tandem would have been better. Are, are we better off analytically, like as analysts, I mean, not, not using data necessarily, but analyzing hockey to just throw up our hands and be like, we don't know. Like, is is this one of those <laughs> things where you're actually going to land in a better direction if you just assume volatility as opposed to assuming knowledge? Kind of. And, like, I know that's not what anyone wants to hear. Like, we're analysts. This is our job to understand things. But I think the best thing we can do sometimes is be honest what we do and don't understand. Mm. Goaltending is the hardest position to project. We're not good at it. Us as analysts, we're not great at it. Like, there are some of us who are good at it, but a lot of us, it's all relative to what everybody else's bad is. And general managers are not good at it either. So we're all on the same playing field. If we're saying, like, well, shouldn't you be good at it? This is your job. Like, shouldn't a general manager be good at it? None of us are. I swear nobody understands goaltenders but goaltenders. There is ways to try to understand goaltending and paint the picture. The data we have is not great for goalies. It's worse than what we have for everybody else, and we're stretched I think as far as we could go with what we have publicly available to us anyway, but we should assume volatility until someone gives us a reason to not, we should assume that Igor Shosturkin is going to be one of the best goalies in the league period. The end, we should assume Andre Vasilevsky is, but then even that we can't do perfectly this year because we're saying he's coming back from back surgery. Who among us knows how a person's going to respond to it. Like we need to always have context. And we always need to have qualifiers, and it's fun and wonderful to have a hot take, but with goaltending, I think that with, <laughs> we need qualifiers for everything, and it needs, you need to try to paint the full picture as much as you can of the context of the team around him, to the goalie coaches working with him, to their recent history, mm. to their entire career. We need so much to fully understand goaltending, and even with everything we have, it's still volatile. So what can you do? I, I want to localize this conversation a little bit, because one goalie who's obviously destroying everything impossible to beat this season is Thatcher Demko, the Vancouver Canucks starter. And that is, I'd say, 0% surprise to any of us. And then you sort of look at the data, and it's like he's a, he's still a 9-12 career goaltender, which is, you know, above average since he came into the league, but not, not by a lot. You know, like the large sample on Demko um, – you know, is is slightly above average over five thousand eight hundred shots. <laughs> um, so, how do we, in terms of analyzing Demko, like, are you buying this start? Like, I am, and yet the data in some ways conflicts with that conclusion. I am buying that he's a good goalie. I'm buying that he's having a bounce back year that I think a lot of us projected mm. he would. And I'm buying that he's someone that can kind of handle playing behind a chaotic team because we've seen him do that before. Yes. So I think we know the Canucks don't have to be perfect defensively for him to thrive. Um, It would help to have support. They they kind of are good now, Shayna. Defensively, they're they're way better. It's wild. They're way better. But it's all relative, you know. (laughs) This is not behind the LA Kings or something. Sure. Um, But, I mean, look, that start that he's having – I would say it's unsustainable, but I've also thought other starts were unsustainable in recent years. I thought Chess Durkin two years ago was playing at a pace that nobody would, could keep up. I thought UC Saros and Ilya Sorokin mm. were last year, too. And I think we're seeing 
some goalies push limits that we haven't seen in years since greats like, I don't know, Henrik Lundqvist and, you know, there's been years of Ryan Miller up there, Jonathan Quick. Like, there's been those years of greatness from goalies. To see it over a complete season is asking for a lot. Would I be surprised if he has a little skid midseason and then, you know, returns to form? Absolutely not. I think that this pace, he has, what, 14 goals saved of expected in 18 games? Like, that's ridiculous. If you measure out what he's done so far in his entire career by the minutes he's played, like, this pace is ridiculous. It's one of the best year-to-year improvements in the league, too, among mm. all goalies. Um, but I still think he's going to finish out as one of the top goalies in the league. Like, I won't be surprised to see him stand at the top of the list of goalies and goalies and goal saved though I've expected, even if it's not at this pace, I just think you have to take it at a grain of salt because doing something in 18 games is a lot different than doing it in say, I don't know, 55 or 60 games. And not for nothing, this is goalie who's only played 64 games in a regular season once as his most. So I think that's something to keep in mind as well. Like, will there be an element of fatigue at the end of the year? Will the team pick it up defensively? So that's not a factor or will they know when to rotate in a backup at the right time so they keep him as fresh as possible down the stretch? Like, there's so much to consider. I still think he's going to have a great year, but I think all of that factors in. Hey, Shannon, just before we let you go, you know, I mentioned it when we were talking about the Devils, how they're kind of towards the bottom of the Metro division standings, and it's a bit of a topsy-turvy start in general for the Metro with, you know, Pittsburgh and New Jersey looking up at teams like the Capitals and the Flyers, which I don't think a lot of us expected. Do you have a a strong sense for kind of how you think that division shakes out and who can claim, uh, you know, the final of the top three spots for the playoffs there in that division? It's really tough this year um, because there's so much going on in that division, and it, it definitely is not the way I think any of us kind of saw saw it going at this point. The tough part is going to be, like, whether an Atlantic team takes up one or two of those wildcard seeds because mm. right now, like, there's a case for that to happen, and it's going to depend on how Tampa Bay kind of normalizes after this in and out stretch and, you know, can Detroit keep it up? Are they for real because they've had moments of both? A team like the Flyers, I don't see making the playoffs. And I think that's totally okay. I think they're going to sell off players. We're going to yep. see things kind of slow down, and that's fine. They're, they know what they're doing. Um, Washington, I know, has been better this uh, like the last month after an iffy start. Uh, I'm not sold on them being there. I, I think that really good goaltending has helped them. Like Charlie Lindgren's been great to rotate with Darcy Kemper. I think a team like Pittsburgh's going to be fine. I think that they're going to be in the mix. I think the Canes are going to figure out their goaltending situation. I don't think they have to go super big, but I feel like if the Canes or Devils, one of them makes a move on goaltending, I think the other responds. So I think the Canes, the Devils, and the Rangers make it, but I won't be surprised to see Pittsburgh in the mix. And then you have the Islanders. I think an Atlantic team is going to take them out of the fold this year, Um, but you know, if I say it, the opposite's going to happen because that's how it works with this team and me. (laughs) The Islanders are... (laughs) A hard one to wrap your arms around. Shayna, did you see any of the NBA in-season tournament highlights from yesterday? Why has the NHL not considered something like this, in your view, should they? I did not see the highlights. I really don't watch basketball at all. Uh, I think it's boring. (laughs) So I invest so much of my time in sports, I'd rather just watch, like, hockey and tennis and other things. Personally, uh, I'd rather (laughs) there's a list over basketball, but... 
I think an in-season tournament is an interesting idea. I just can't see the NHL getting everything together to make it happen. They can't even make a tournament happen that's an international one every couple of years. So I have little faith. It would be fun if they could figure out a way to spice up something, even if it's like a rivalry week or month where it's just like a ton of action and they figure out some sort of way to like hype up play. Um, but I think if the NHL does to do anything like this, it's going to be like, watered down, cheesy, feel like a money grab, and we're all going to hate it and be like, please don't. She covers the NHL for The Athletic, also part of the Too Many Men podcast. Shana, thanks as always for doing this. We really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. That is Shana Goldman, as mentioned, from The Athletic and the Too Many Men podcast. And uh, I did like this text that came in as she said, you know, GMs aren't even really good at evaluating goalies. Somebody texts in, good thing GMs don't vote on the Vesna then. Oh, wait. That's exactly who decides well, the Vesna. I'm still team. If you're a GM, every year your Vesna vote should go toward whatever goalies on an ELC that has bonuses triggered by your vote. <laughs> right? Like that is actually wild when you think about it. It it, it actually makes no sense. Like, like a huge conflict of interest. Every year I'd look at my division. I'd look at my division and I'd be like, okay, that goalie's on an ELC. If I give them a first place vote, maybe they come top five, and that triggers a bonus that because this team's an LTI becomes an overage on them next season, and weakens my opponent. That's that's how I'd vote for the Vesna if I was. An I NHL just team. I would love like the you know the twenty three year old breaking into the league who played like fifteen games, getting the getting the Vesna vote, and everyone trying to figure out who did it. Yeah, but why w- I'm, 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 why wouldn't you do it that way? Yeah, no, it's a wild feature to have. Like, especially in a hard cap league. Yeah. I mean, it's even wild in other leagues where, like, you know, the the writers are voting on it, but it could be the difference between, you know, like in the NBA when you vote on all NBA or whatever, that can trigger you being eligible for the Supermax. And that has, like, huge financial implications for players, and that's down to the writers. To, to leave it up to team employees, front office guys in a hard cap world, and to have these things theoretically at least be able to impact the team's cap uh, is pretty wild when you really step back. And think about it. I want to. I want which, get... which, like, don't or you, <laughs> you'll, you'll slowly go insane. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> or you're a sicko. You'll become the Joker. <laughs> um, I want to talk more about the in-season tournament thing because it's something mm. that independently <laughs> both of us wanted to talk about, which is funny because it's not even the same sport as what uh, the show is supposed to be about. I, but I, I do think there are NHL tie-ins. I was so jazzed and then also upset about it. Like honestly, <laughs> I was worked up last night. The Thomas Drance experience. <laughs> That's true. Worked up. Worked up about nothing? Worked up over something. Uh, no, worked up about nothing, Most mostly. Uh, but we will do that later in the show. Uh, up next, we will hear from Rick Tockett, head coach of the Canucks, uh, and some of his commentary on the game against the Devils, the Hughes Bulls, tonight here at Rogers Arena. More coming up here on Canucks Talk, Sportsnet 650. Welcome back to Canucks Talk Sportsnet 650 with Jamie Dodd, Thomas Drance. Canucks Talk brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment. Be a champion on the worksite. Find them together online at DLEAMC.com. We are coming to you live from the mobile Kintech studio. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider. Supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. 
650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Of course, it is game day here at Rogers Arena. The Canucks and the New Jersey Devils uh, taking on each other tonight. And as he always does, and we love to hear from him here on the show, Canucks head coach Rick Tockett speaking to the media earlier today. Here's what he had to say. Yeah, I, I think um, I want to get Hoggy a little more ice time. I think he's uh, he's earning it right now. Um, and then I just think that, you know, we're for our first power play. We're struggling a little bit, but I think um, maybe get Koozie, get that unit that was really hot at the beginning of the year together, uh, get them moving a little bit more. Um, you know, I, I think Phillip's better on top. Uh, but I don't mind him there once in a while if he, you know, if he can one-time the puck. So now we get a Koozie. If Koozie's got to start shooting the puck, though, if he's over there, and that's kind of the next level for Koozie, he's got to participate, whether it's a shot or be able to make a play to the low guy, uh, which he's usually good at. Um, I don't want him to always defer back to Huggy because we're beating pressure, but he's catching it and he's going back to Huggy when actually you should go downhill when you beat pressure. So that's, the, you know, that's what we want Koozie to do tonight especially. One thing that's sort of interesting about how your team profiles is if you look at some of the underlying n- numbers yeah. or whatever, they'll, they'll say you're mid- mid-pack. But yeah. in terms of actual zone time, you're, you're right at the top. But maybe not always translating that into yeah. sort of inner slot shots or, or, or high-quality yeah. looks. Is that partly philosophical? Is that partly how you want to go about controlling games by effectively defending 150 feet from your net? Well, I mean, I don't want four or five guys high. I mean, we, we have to, we need nut front presence. And I think sometimes we get, you know, the problem is when you get possession, you're having people move. Every, I like movement, but you got to be careful because we'll have people vacating the areas. Yeah, it looks great from the outside, but we got nobody through the interior. So eventually you got to make sure that you have somebody at the very end, somebody's got to be around the net and somebody's got to be some, I call it a level. He's got to be above the net front guy in a position, whether it's a shot pass or to recover. Um, so I know what you're saying. Yeah. Possession time. Sometimes that looks good, but if you really look at it, we'll have, we've vacated the, the, the net area, the interior and everything's perimeter. And then when you take a shot, who ends, who gets the puck is the other team. Rick, it really is a special night for, for hockey fans, especially for the Hughes family, just the third time yeah. or ninth time in NHL history. Three brothers have played. From a fan's perspective, and as a guy who, I think if memory serves correct, you played on the Flyers when the Sutter brothers played, yeah. um, just the thought of, of having something like this happen at this level. Well, I think it's great for hockey. I mean, you know, look at the, the talent of those three guys. Um, it's incredible. And um, I think everybody's excited to see, you know, they, they got some, they're competitive brothers. I mean, they... I mean, yeah, they're brothers, but they want to showcase their talents tonight. So that we just got to be careful that, you know, they don't try to outdo each other and they're just zipping around. Um, but for me, that um, how close they are as brothers and how much they love each other and how much they want each other to do so well is, is really the story for me. It's, it's a very close-knit family. What have you seen in your pre-scouting of, of Jack and, and Luke? Uh, Quinn talked about there's similarities between his game and Luke's. But what have you seen from the two? Yeah, for was Luke twenty? Is he twenty years old? For a twenty-year-old, he is—he's up there. He's a talented. I remember Huggy told me this summer he might be—he even said this guy might be better than me at, at the end of my career. That's how how much he uh, praises his brother. I mean, Jack's—you know—he's one of the stars of the league. I mean, he's when he has the puck, you know, he's one of those guys like Mitt David. And those guys were, you, you know, you don't mind paying a lot of money to watch, a, you know, a, an individual play. He's one of those guys in the NHL. How nice has it been last couple of days to maybe sit down with the door off a little bit and kind of get him settled into some more system and structure type of things over the yeah, last little bit? Yeah, the, the secret is not to give him too much. And then it's a lot of logistics for him, like, you know, trying to find a place. Like, 
glad we had a day off yesterday so we can, you know, I know as I've been traded before, you know, you, you're worried about your family. You want to get in school. So you want to get that done as soon as possible. You don't want that to linger. So some of the system stuff, we give them a little bit at a time. Um, I'm not a big fan of just giving a player too much. It's uh, You can tell when you give somebody too much. So we just give them enough. Um, I'd rather get his home life done first and then worry about the other stuff later. It looks like the three Swedes are going to be playing together. The Swedish House Mafia line, I think, is their nickname. Um, what do you like about that trio playing together? Is it just something about them knowing each other as well that kind of helps them have some chemistry on the ice? Well, you got it. they're a good forward-checking line. Um, a guy like Carlson can hold pucks and goes to the net. You know, Oms can be there to cover up, I think, you know, as an F3 type of guy. So everybody's got a little bit of – they can complement each other. Um, you know, um, so I'm excited to see them get, them get some time and uh, – how they stack against some other teams. Like, um, and I think, like I said, when they're forechecking and holding pucks, that could be a dangerous line for us. Rick, when we had our availability just a while ago with Quinn, you could see it in his eyes and his demeanor that he was all about tonight, not about our questions. You've called him a hockey nerd for all the right reasons. Yeah. I guess that doesn't surprise you. Even meeting with us this morning, it was, his, his laser <coughs> focus was about 708 tonight. <clears throat> Yeah, I, I think that's his whole approach to his game this summer, the way he trained, the way he worked on his game, even this year. Like, he – I've never seen – like, I should say that I wasn't around a lot, but he uh, takes care of his body, um, his recoveries and stuff on, on non-day games. Like, he's dialed in. You know, he, he gets his work done, um, and he's really conscious about his recovery this year more than ever because he knows to get the next level as a team, you know, he's got to be dialed in. Um, so that's why I really respect his – his even his off ice stuff, like he's he's all about recovery, you know. He's he's picking his spots, um, you know. He's just one of those kids that uh, it's hockey, hockey. Sometimes we gotta we gotta shut his brain off with hockey and let him relax. But uh, yeah, he's he's twenty four seven hockey. You're giving Carlson another look tonight. What are you anxious to see in him? I got a guy who's uh, got uh, got a pretty good skill package. Well, I just like the fact that you know he's you know he's he's a guy that you know. These are our organization needs is a sticky guy. Like I put him out with two minutes left against Calgary because I knew, you know, if his job is to get to the wall and you know get into a defenseman, he'll do it. And he was he was out there for 25 seconds. I, I forget what he did, but he cleared it or something, and he came right off. Like I like that stuff. Last two minutes of the game, um, and it, you know he's got. I think he's a guy that we have to see what we got in an organization. So we can't be afraid to give him some time and, and play him some games. Just one more from me. Before you took this job, Rick, you told me that you reached out to a lot of people, and I think Travis Green was one of them. Yeah. Uh, do you maintain contact? What do you make of him getting back in the game? Obviously, it's a special night for him, I guess, in, in some way, shape, or form. Yeah, I'm. A, you know, he's one of my closest friends. I think he's a hell of a coach. You know, I'm glad he's back in. You know, it's been a while. Smart guy. Um, you know, it's a good acquisition for my jersey. Um, he's got a lot to add. So hopefully he gets a, another kick at the can. I think he deserves it. I was going to ask about Travis Green as well. Have you spoken yeah. to him uh, in town here and met up with him? Yeah, a bunch of times. Yeah, I, I talked to him. I probably talked to him once every week or 10 days. You know, we, there's a couple of coaches I talked to just you know, just run, run ideas. But obviously, you know, we're not talking strategy tonight. You know, he, he, but there is there's stuff that we, you know, he'll talk about power play. With, he'll ask me my opinion on power play. And, and I'm like, well, you got the number one power play. What, I should be asking him what they're doing. But uh, yeah, no, it's it's uh it's good. I like having a couple of guys you you can bounce ideas off of. I think it's important. He didn't really say too much. About it. He misses Vancouver. I don't know. He didn't say much about the meeting, but he doesn't miss Vancouver. I know he likes. Where, where's J Pat? Um, likes the restaurants. He gets the free meals. 
Rick, do you want a piece on Noah Jolson? Just your assessment of what he's brought to the team this year and what he needs to improve on to maintain his role. Yeah, Jules, to me, is, um, you know, obviously he struggled early, sat out a lot of games. Um, you know, for him, it's consistency, uh, being able to make the right play under pressure. Um, I think he's getting better at that. Um, he's doing, it. I think, a good job in the PK when we've asked him to, blocking shots. Um, he made some couple, against Calgary, made a couple of good clears. Um, I just think that, you know, he's chipping away in his game to be a consistent defenseman that you can rely on every day. Um, that's really what it comes down to. In your mind, what's the key to consistency? Some people say it's confidence. I mean, for you, is it confidence or is other factors? I think plays under pressure. I, that's how I judge a lot of players. I mean, there's some games there's not a lot of pressure on a person, and the guy looks okay. But when there's pressure on somebody, can they make the right play, you know, at, under pressure? This game's under, you know, the, the heat's going to get even hotter, hotter, you know, under pressure. And I think, you know, no one to go back on a breakout. It's two-man forecheck. Can you make that play under pressure? Like, anybody can make a play when there's no forecheck, but... That's, the th that's why we try to apply pressure on the players in practice is to put these guys in situations. And Noah's no different. You know, we gotta, he's one guy that has to learn under pressure, can he make the right play? You know, to, don't throw the puck in the middle. If it's a three-man forecheck, you, know, you, you, you dink it. If it's a, you know, a one-man forecheck, we want you to wheel the net, make the right play to a winger so we can play offense instead of rimming it. It's little things like that. And I'm not just saying him. I'm just saying those are the pressure moments you want to see what he can do. That is Canucks head coach Rick Tockett with some thoughts uh, before his team takes on the New Jersey Devils today, or tonight, I should say, at Rogers Arena. And a couple of things stood out to me there, Drancer. One, with Kuzmenko going back to the first power play unit, the discussion about what he needs to do to be successful. And one, shooting the puck more, but I thought it was specific. Even beyond that, not deferring back to Quinn Hughes, right? Hey, mm. if you're in a situation where you can attack the middle of the ice, you can go downhill a little bit, do that rather than recycling it back up to the point. So not just being aggressive in terms of shooting, but being aggressive in terms of the other choices you're making and where you're trying to put the puck. Uh, and I think Taka was specifically talking, you know, if you've beat one guy on the penalty kill and you've, you've beat pressure, you have the opportunity to be aggressive there. Kuzmenko's got to take those chances. What was the other thing that stood out to you? Uh, the other thing was uh, the conversation about zone time. So both of my questions. <laughs> La -dita. We could have just played the first two minutes of the clip, Jamie. <laughs> I wasn't going to give you credit. I actually didn't even realize the Kuzmenko one was you because I think it just starts with him talking about it. But um, that's funny. Yeah. No, the other one. And then the other one. Yeah. About zone time actually turning into high danger chances. Which I think is a fascinating thing because we've seen these struggles to generate five-on-five -five offense, especially over, what, the last three weeks, last month here of the season. And yet, as you say in the question, it's not as if they're having trouble getting into the offensive zone. It's just a question of turning that zone time consistently into dangerous scoring chances and then goals. Yeah, so sport, some sport logic data that sort of came across my um, my desk Um the Canucks are actually number one in the NHL in offensive zone time, which doesn't match their underlying performance based on shot attempts, based on shots for, and certainly not based on scoring chances. By, by SportLogic's own data, 26th in shots um, among 32 NHL teams and 23rd in inner slot chances. Now, that's a huge gap, like to be number one yeah. in zone time. And I think when we think about the Canucks this season, like how many times do they sort of unlock those extended shifts 
with the puck, applying pressure in the offensive end, but so often they're not necessarily resulting in chances. And I was thinking about it. That gap is so enormous. I, I sort of wondered, and this is sort of part of a larger observation, right? So to sort of break it down, we've talked a lot about Tockett's use of a five-man unit where mm-hmm. he matches the hughes heronic pair to his own forward line, the JT Miller line, and six that sort of fivesome, that, that group of five, which till recently usually included Phil DiGiuseppe, on the toughest matchup possible. And my theory has long been that effectively what Tockett is doing is boosting JT Miller as a center in a matchup role by giving him the two best defensemen that he has on his team, and that lets him use his best two-way driving forward in Elias Pettersson to protect Vancouver's other defense uh, other defenders, given that, you know, we all know on paper, defensive depth is this team's issue. Yep. And so I was sort of trying to think about it as like taking it one step further and kind of checking on this, which is what if part of how Tockett is trying to protect his lack of defensive depth is also that he's happy for this team to set up shop and, and maintain possession, whether it results in scoring chances or not, because he'd rather be defending with the puck 150 feet from his own net as opposed to, you know, necessarily like taking extra risks, trying to score, making the pass that might result in a, in a, you know, home run scoring chance, but also might end up as an odd man rush the other way. And so that was sort of what I was digging at. And I thought it was interesting that talk it, like I gave him the out. I was basically like, Hey, look, like, are you happy with this? Is this what Mm -hmm. you want? Is this philosophical? And you know his thing is no, we're not we're not well, inside enough. But I think two things can be true here at once, right? Because I think there could be an element of what you're talking about, right? Where they're really emphasizing we don't want to get burned the other way. And I think they, we've talked about it. they've done a really good job of not getting burned on the rush, not giving up odd man chances, right? Defending well as a team, you could want to kind of install those things first and foremost as a baseline but then also want to see more dangerous and creative plays in the offensive end. You know what I mean? Or at least see guys more willing to pay the price at the net front. Yeah. So it's just an interesting dynamic. Like, I'm pretty sure what we're seeing is, like, the marriage of matchups and tactics to accentuate this team's positives, right, and and mask to the greatest extent possible this team's weaknesses, which we all know are on the back end. This is an interesting point as well about the zone time discrepancy. If you're defending a lead, then zone time, pure zone time without chances is pretty desirable, it's right? It's fantastic. He says it's fine. I wonder how much of that time is when they are leading. They have been leading a lot of this season, right? have, especially yeah. early in the season, and that is, I think that's a good point from the texture. Not that it explains the entire discrepancy, no. but why you could see uh, you know, a heap of zone time without necessarily translating to high danger opportunities because yeah hey you're up two goals in the third period yeah just kill some time in the corner that's great i think there's something going on i really do i really think there's a marriage of matchups and tactics to effectively and it's been very effective like this is praise this is praiseworthy for talkett and his staff to effectively mask some of this team's continued limitations on the back end even though the defensive group has improved significantly with the additions of Hronik and Zadorov. Um, and yet, I'm sure the discrepancy, like, is too extreme for him. Yeah. Right? Like, this well, yeah. This team's not generating nearly enough five-on-five. Five. We all know that. Um, you know, they're not generating enough offense. They're not generating enough looks. They're not generating enough inter-slot uh, scoring chances five-on-five. Five. They haven't for much of this season. 
And, you know, I, I think that's probably an area, whether, whether it's partly the product of philosophy or not, to this extreme, I'm sure he sees it as an area for improvement. Yeah, I mean, you look at, and obviously the Vegas example stands out because we just saw them really dominate the Canucks, but the top teams in the league are able to not just spend time in the offensive zone, but turn that into, they're able to put enough stress on the other team's defense that they create those really uh, high-danger scoring opportunities on at least a regular basis. And, you know, I do think... Yeah, the, I mean, Vegas is fourth in the NHL by slot shots, yeah. right? Like, they're they're killing it. And that's kind of the next step, or at least one of the next steps for the Canucks, is to figure out, okay, how do we... We're, it's great that they're defending the rush better, they're defending in zone better. That's all really important. That's something that had to change. Now you got to take care of, the, of some of those things on the, uh, on the other end of the ice as well. Yeah, just one take that I've been seeing a lot that I wanted to quickly talk about. Uh, Connor Garland's finishing ability. Mm-hmm. Connor Garland getting a lot of guff for for his production. A couple things going on here. Number one, what is a reasonable expectation for a points haul for a forward who plays third line minutes with Dakota Joshua and Teddy Bluger in terms of offensive production? Like, if he was scoring 45 points given... The quality of his line mates, offensive quality of his line mates, because I have a lot of time for both players as two-way guys. And given the minutes, and given the lack of PP1 opportunity, like, if he got 45 points in those minutes, that would be huge. That would be, like, unbelievable Mm -hmm. third-line scoring rate stuff. Um, The second thing to note here is, like, if if we look at Connor Garland's performance as a finisher or, or, or a producer... Since arriving in Vancouver, large sample, right? Because obviously, if you look at just twenty games, you're you're going to miss the full picture. So, since Connor Garland arrived in Vancouver, his goals per sixty rate, point seven seven. JT Miller's points goals per sixty rate in the same time frame, point seven seven. Like his shooting percentage is low. You know, it's. Last three years since arriving in Vancouver, 1,500 minutes played. Like, if that's our cutoff, there's like 300 forwards. He's like 200th by, sh- by shooting percentage. But he's within, like, that that majority band. You know, he's not like an outlier. He's not would, like you, Would you call it the fat part of the bell curve? The, the very fat part of the bell curve. He's not like a standard. He's not even a standard deviation below average. He's It's just like he's an average finisher. Um, he's definitely not a below average finisher. I can't find any qualitative data that would say, suggest so. And his the most important thing, like the thing we ignore too much, you know, one thing like I'm seeing a lot on Twitter, for example, is people say stuff like the Canucks have the two highest scoring centermen in the NHL. Mm-hmm. But a lot of those points are duplicate points that they put up together five on four, right? Miller to Pedersen, so they both get a point. Like the, the better way to look at it is how they rate in terms of goals four per 60, the team. Like, how many, how many goals is the team scoring with each, with each center on the ice? And with Pedersen, you get a top 10 guy. And with Miller, you get a top 30 guy. And that's still, by the way, excellent. Still really good. Really good. For first but, two centers. But it's not that they have the, the number one and two yeah. scorings. Like, that, obscu- that obscures more than it tells the story. Connor Garland's goals four per 60, like the rate at which this team has scored goals with Garland on the ice over the last, like, since he arrived, it's like, higher than Besser, in line with JT Miller, below Pedersen. Like he, this is a guy who's absolutely a capable top six point producer, who's playing in a limited role with non-point producing players and driving a line. 
it's not his finishing game that's not up to snuff. It's expectations for what a player in that role should produce that don't align, in my view, with reality. Well, and I also just think, you know, his points per 60 at 5-on-5 five five is down significantly. It would be a career low for him, not just in his time in Vancouver, but yeah. going back to Arizona. But a lot of that is his shooting percentage, right? Like, I think this is just a pretty classic case of a guy who's had a cold streak. Yep. And when you're... Well, and cold streaks happen. Cold streaks happen, and they... like especially can happen to average finishers. You know what right. I mean? It's not to say that he's a bad finisher, but if you're average, your your chance of having a cold streak is, is and higher. And he's gone through them at length because he's an average finisher. Yeah. Right? Like, that's that's okay. Um, his profile, frankly, from an underlying perspective, is not so different from guys like Frank Vitrano and Jonathan Marcheseau. Yeah. Like, that's kind of the profile of, like, undersized, hardworking, middle six-winger, but... Those guys can go off, as Vetrano did for the Rangers in the playoffs last year and has for the Ducks this season, and obviously as Marcheseau has done many times in his career, if you find the right fit. I, I don't know that the team has found the right fit for Garland at any point, but the production is still there. It's still top six level, large sample. Um, yeah, I, I think the focus on you know the Garland's finishing game the, the frustration stemming from that is to fundamentally misunderstand his usage and, wh- and what we should expect from him given it. I would also say that I would be so much more concerned if he wasn't driving play, like if his scoring chances and his shooting opportunities were down, which they're not. They're actually up over what he's done recently uh, with the Vancouver Canucks because as we tie it back into the conversation about zone time and scoring chances, it you know obviously you don't want to just have zone time without scoring chances, right? But if your third line is doing that on a pretty regular basis, like that's a lot easier to live with than 100%. your top six doing it. You know what I mean? So and, if and your third line is consistently in the other team's zone but doesn't quite finish at the rate you'd like, it's like, well, that's a champagne problem. That's good. You know what I mean? Like that's that's fine. You can live with that. Uh, and I'll tell you this: the third line would not be doing it without him. No, like they, of course they, not. Like he's the he honestly, honestly, every piece of data that I look at strongly suggests that Garland's an average finisher, a top-six rate scorer, like a second-line rate scorer, and the most consistent play-driving engine this team has this season by a lot. By a lot. I, I, I just really don't understand the fixation on, you know, on, on his finishing. And, and you know, we've, we've seen it pretty consistently over, over the course of his Vancouver tenure. Like, I think this, is, this guy's shaping up to be, like, one of the most roundly criticized and misunderstood Canucks players since, I don't know, Mason Raymond, yeah, Kev- Kevin again, Bieksa. You know, it'd be one thing if it was first line winger who generating tons of chances, but get, just can't buy a goal. And, and I, look, I understand the process of watching a guy to get tons of shots, but the puck's not going in for him. Yeah, it is just frustrating. In, that can be sure. inherently frustrating, as I'm sure it is for, for the him, player. But yeah. again, it's like this is a third line winger. It's like okay, yeah, he's living in the other team's end, but he's just not getting the bounces right now. All right. You, that's fine. Well, that'll come around. Well, and then and then you get the line that like, well, the fact that he's a third line winger at five million dollars is the problem, and it's like, yeah, but Vancouver's it's not his problem. But also, Vancouver's top six isn't isn't generating enough scoring chances. Like at some point, I I do think this club might have to consider mm. the fact that he might be a po- possible solution to some of that issue further up the lineup. Uh, we will take a quick break. We'll have a chat with uh, one of the Vancouver Giants forwards. Jaden Lipinski will join the show, set up the uh, teddy bear toss game coming up for the Giants Let's on go. Saturday. So we'll have a quick chat with Jaden and then some final thoughts uh, about the Canucks and the Devils tonight. Final seven coming up here on Canucks Talk Sportsnet 650. 
to Canucks Talk Sportsnet 650 here with Jamie Dodd and Thomas Strance live from the mobile Kintech studio. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street or Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. And right now joining us on the line, very pleased uh, to chat with uh, Vancouver Giants forward Jaden Lipinski. Jaden, thanks for making time for us today. How are you? I'm great, yeah. Thanks for having me, guys. Appreciate it. Yeah, it's our pleasure. And uh, lots to get into today. I know big game coming up uh, on Saturday, December 9th. It's the, the Giants' teddy bear toss game. Always a highlight for the Giants, for you know WHL teams especially in general. How much are you and the other guys looking forward to this one on Saturday? Yeah, no, it's, uh, like you said, it's always a great time. Um, you know, obviously, I think it's pretty sold out, um, but uh, it's a fun time. It's kind of nerve-wracking. You know, you want to get the goal early on. You don't want to be waiting too long, but uh, it, was, it was a great time last year and even my first year, so uh, we're all kind of wanting to get the goal here. I was going to say, how like how much how much bragging rights are on the line here to be the guy who gets the, the teddy bear toss goal in this one? Yeah, yeah, no, it's, uh, we're definitely, I mean, if anyone says they're not thinking about it, they're definitely lying, but uh, <laughs> we got one in Everett, and then uh, I think they're coming to us, so uh, it'll be a really good time. Jaden, you were at uh, the Pemberton, or sorry, the Penticton Young Stars Tournament <laughs> uh, earlier this uh, this year. What, what did you learn at your first pro camp uh, and at the prospect tournament coming into this season? How much has it helped you take that step? Well, uh, I, I learned quickly. Um, it's just a faster game, you know. Everyone there is so skilled and so strong, and um, so it, you get you quickly adjust to it. But um, I was fortunate enough to have a great player development staff who has helped me along the way and doing video and all that good stuff. But uh, having Sam there as well, Sam Hondik, uh definitely made it easier, and it was a great experience for uh, you know both of us. How nice is it to have uh, Samuel Hansik back in the lineup, helping you guys out after after injury there? Yeah, it's it's uh, it's really great. He, he he's a you know obviously a great player, but uh, he makes it easy out there. You know, uh, I think we complement each other well, and um, you know I just wish we could add more of him this first half. But uh, we'll get to cheer him on in the World Juniors, and uh, he'll be back in January. So. Yeah, as you said, he's going to be going to the World Juniors uh, for Slovakia. And, you know, I know the team recently named their leadership group for the season. Hanzik, uh, officially the captain. You're part of the group, though. And, in fact, when he's a- away with uh, with Slovakia at the World Juniors, you're going to be serving as captain, wearing the C for the Giants. What does that opportunity mean for you? It means a lot. I mean, coming in as a, as a young guy in my 17-year, um, we had some, some great leadership there. and. Um, I'm fortunate enough to know some of the past Giants. Uh, you know, Alex Kanek-Leepert and obviously uh, Stopchuk as well. So um, they did a really good job, and so I'm definitely going to use them as a template. But, uh, you know, Sam is – I couldn't think of a better guy to represent us in that way. And, um, you know, I'll keep it nice and warm for him while he's gone. Uh, he'll do a great job. Uh, what what do you, would you say are your kind of goals for continuing to develop your game? I mean, obviously, huge milestone and achievement being drafted by the Flames last year, now having a chance to be part of the leadership group, even serving as captain a little bit. What are those next steps that you want to take in your career? Well, I think uh, just being a mentor for the younger guys, um, not just verbally, but uh, by example. And I think they uh, they'll naturally look up to a guy 
who's you know not just older but you know drafted so i think uh we're in a very important spot as leaders and um i think just maturing as a player playing that 200 foot game um you know just knowing my identity i i'm i have a good idea of how i'm going to play uh play in the nhl so i think just continuing to develop my 200 foot game is going to be key in that Jaden, really appreciate the time and uh, go out and get that teddy bear goal on Saturday, all right? <laughs> yeah, all right. Sounds good. Thanks a lot, guys. <laughs> Happy holidays. That is Vancouver Canucks forward Jaden Lipinski joining us here uh, on Canucks Talk. And yeah, serving as the captain while Samuel Hanzik is, you know, his fellow Flames draftee is away at the World Juniors for Slovakia. And if you do want to check it out, and again, always a highlight on the schedule, uh, teddy bear toss game goes Saturday, December 9th at 7. You can get tickets for it out at the LEC, and uh, yeah, we, we will see who gets the bragging rights. I learned today, apparently, uh, former Canuck, Brad Lukowicz, scored the first ever Teddy Bear Toss goal for the Kamloops Blazers. They invented the promotion, and he was the guy who scored it. That's pretty sweet. That's a good a good little item he, on your resume He's there. in my contacts, man. <laughs> we we should have got him on. called him on. a whole Teddy Bear Toss segment. <laughs> the first ever. The walk ten- down memory lane man. with Brad Lukowicz. I, I always think Brad Lukowicz, too, is one of the most random people you could possibly possibly find who scored a goal assisted by both Sedin twins. <laughs> That's a really good one. You know what I mean? Like for the most part, if you're if you're looking at guys who scored a goal assisted by both Sedin twins, you come up with the names pretty quickly, right? Like yep. Jovanovsky, Nasland, Linden, obviously Burroughs. Burroughs. Right? Like yeah. Carter. Kessler on the power play. Totally. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, you know, it's guys who played on the power play. Lucas Krychek would be random, but even that one makes more sense. Brad Lukowicz is like Really a tough one to remember. Yeah. He was in the Airhoff trade, right? He was the other guy in the he Airhoff trade? He was effectively trade? the purchase part of the Airhoff trade. Right. The right. real value to San Jose in the Airhoff trade, because in, back in those days, <laughs> so, uh, you could bury a contract in full before the Wade Redden rule, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you could bury a contract in full in the um, American League. Lukowicz was buried in, in, I guess it was Worcester. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and so that was the that was the purchase price effectively. All right, let's talk midseason tournament. Okay, hold on quickly before we do that. I know you wanted to make another point uh, in the lineup section of oh, the thing. Just, just that Canucks carrying an open roster spot yeah. right now and something to watch over the the next couple yes. of weeks here. Canucks have an open roster spot. They've have twenty two bodies up here now. I think one of the reasons why they're comfortable doing that is Abbotsford's also on a homestand. Mm. So. They've got some time in terms of if you need a call-up, if something happens, if a guy gets hurt, well, a guy's 45 minutes down the road. No no urgency. But after a pair of games this weekend against the Coachella Firebirds out at the uh, Abbotsford Center, the Abbotsford Canucks will head south, and the Vancouver Canucks will shortly thereafter head out on their own pre-Christmas roadie uh, which is a pretty condensed trip, actually, right? Like Dallas, Minnesota, Chicago, all yep. in quick succession. They're going to be playing four and six. They're going to want extra bodies before they head out on the road. And more than that, they're going to want extra bodies before, you know, the, uh, before Abbotsford leaves town. So there is a call-up coming, I think, uh, after this weekend, if not sooner. Uh, that's assuming full health for everybody. Seven defensemen up here currently, 13 forwards, right? Team had two extras, both PDG and um, Mark, Mark Friedman, Friedman. Yep. are not expected to play tonight. So some some ability to call up whomever. I'd sort of look at this set of games, back-to-back set of games that Abbotsford's playing 
Um, you know, and if you're someone who watches closely the American League affiliate out in the Valley, like one thing to keep in mind as you're watching them play Coachella this weekend is this: these are like this is a tryout game. Yeah. Like this tryout game, you're you're approaching the roster freeze. Like this call up is as high leverage as it gets because if you're up on a non-emergency basis, you're you're gonna earn an NHL salary for like a week and a half. Like this is a big moment for Stay, get on for the roster freeze over the holidays. Let's go. Dude, that's as good as it gets. So <laughs> you know whether whether it's Archdeep Baines, Wolanin, yep. Pod Colson, whomever. Like this is a big set of games to to make a big case to come up and uh, and get that good NHL salary over the holidays. Yeah, it's interesting. There's you know you laid out some of them. Obviously, we've been following Archdeep Baines. Pod Colson is back and playing regularly yeah, after playing that scary well. incident, which is great. I don't. It feels a little early for Pod Colson, but you never know if they really like uh, what they're seeing from him. And of course, you know they're still trying out things in the bottom six here at the NHL level. So there could be an opening for him. You know, even Jack Stanika, a guy who's played in the NHL yep. already this year for them, he's down there. Although he wouldn't benefit from the NHL No, because he's on a one-way, yeah. right? But still, uh, he could be an option. There's there's a lot of options, basically, is what I'm saying, is that uh, that call-up to watch for. Yeah, and Pod Colson, if he NHL. comes up, he better be playing. You know, like, it's not enough for Pod Colson to come up and be on the roster. There's some guys for whom, you know, just practicing, you get one game in over a week stretch. Yeah. That's a great experience. Pod Colson's not that guy. Pod Colson needs to be. Well, yeah, I think that's kind of like the Lewis Carlson experience right now, right? Totally. Like, hey, he he was out there with two minutes to go against the Flames. That's incredible. But if he only plays six minutes tonight, you're not too choked about no. it. Whereas Pod Colson has to come up and uh, and be a regular. Okay. Now we will tie this into the NHL. Don't worry, I promise. This is not just an excuse to talk a little NBA here. On Canucks talk, but we did both independently before the show today be like, hey, we have to talk about the in-season tournament uh, that the NBA put on or the quarterfinals that went on last night. And just to set the stage for myself, I'm a huge basketball fan. I've been a huge NBA fan for pretty much my whole life. Having said that, with my job being to cover the Canucks and, you know, focused on the NHL and having kids and stuff, I don't get a lot of time to sit down and watch an NBA game uh, in full or even, you know, in large chunks these days. But I knew it was the quarterfinals, and I made a point. Like, it's very rare for there to be NBA appointment viewing for me, especially in December, you know? And I made a point. Okay, I'm sitting down and watching the second half of this game. Mostly out of curiosity. Like, okay, now that it's single elimination, like, this is where the rubber really hits the road with this experiment. It's great that, you know, players were fired up about the point differential tiebreakers in the group stage and all that in the different courts, but the single elimination aspect of it is really, I think, where it was always going to to live or die or, or succeed or fail. And if you didn't watch the game between the Pacers and the Celtics, it was a phenomenal game, phenomenal second half. Pacers pull off a big upset. Tyrese Halliburton is kind of superstar having this coming out party this year, doing some incredible offensive things. He has this big moment. And I was totally rewarded, just as a fan, for making the time, carving out the time to include the NBA in my night last night. And that kind of summed it up for me. Like, there, it, absent the in-season tournament, there is no way I was treating the Celtics and the Pacers as appointment viewing last night at my house. But I did. Not when you could be watching the Jake Browning show. <laughs> exactly. But I did, and I didn't regret it. I was rewarded handsomely for it. And the point I'm trying to make here is... You know, there was all this debate when the NBA announced the in-season tournament, right? Like, oh, it's hokey. No one's going to care about it, yada, yada, yada. But one of the great things about sports is we can predict and, you know, analyze and guess at what's going to happen. But at a certain point, there's actually, like, we see it happen. And we're either right or we're wrong. 
And if you are on the side of the NBA in-season tournament is just a stupid novelty and no one's going to care, like, you're wrong now. Yeah, you're Because the players cared. The players made it like a playoff atmosphere. That, in and of itself, it's a success now. There's there's NHL times we can get into, but, well, I mean, what a moment for Adam Silver in particular last huge. night. Huge. So, the thing I was thinking about while watching the Pacers do this, because the Pacers are a team that has, for the first time in a long time, trended in the right direction, right? Hal Burton's, you know, all pro, looking like one of the best guards in basketball. Um, things have come together after, like, years of stagnation. I mean, the Pacers haven't been super relevant since, what, like... Paul George, Roy Hibbert yeah, teams. Yeah. Right, which was 10 years ago, yeah. you know, where they, like, beat the Raptors in the playoffs. Like, it's been a long time since this Pacers team was exciting, and they're not going to win the championship this year. They're probably not making the Eastern Conference Final. They probably aren't winning a round in the playoffs, given given what the rest of the East looks like. But for those fans, they won a single-game elimination comeback against the Boston Celtics last night and probably had the best night you know, at the Fieldhouse in a decade-plus. And that's sort of the point of the in-season tournament, in my view anyway, is like, we live in this world where one team of 32 NHL teams gets to win something that anyone gets to be proud of. We don't celebrate president's trophies. I think we should. Um, we don't care. One team wins, 31 lose. One fan base is happy at the end of the year. And, like, fundamentally, there's too many players doing too many amazing things on a night-to-night basis for that to be tenable, in my view. Like, there should be differing different ways to have success. Like, you have an in-season tournament, you give a, a team like the Pacers, an upstart team that maybe isn't going to win the championship, this opportunity with a sort of more volatile tournament structure to pull some upsets, to maybe do something memorable, to still be able to look back on this season as a success and not just a success because they were an upstart team giving their fans the faint whiff of hope. And as I was thinking about all these things, I thought, man, you know who would have probably smoked the early stages of a of a in-season in NHL tournament, the, the Vancouver Canucks. Yeah, like they've been flying high. This team's, you know, going to be in tough to win more than a playoff round, especially given how they performed against the Colorados and Vegases of the world over the past few weeks. You know, they're probably not ready to be grouped in with the with con- the contender tier at the NHL level, but like this is a team that can make noise. They can beat you on any given night. Like it would have been amazing to see this building play in, in preseason tournament games that over moment. the last month. Yeah. Incredible. And here's the here's the last part of it that like bothers me from an NHL perspective, right? Which is the NH NBA has done this. They also have this play in that's awesome. Mm-hmm. And they have a rights deal coming up at the end of next season. Okay. What are they going to do in this world? Well they're going to do the Landgraf thing. They're going to split they're going to split the in season tournament games, which by the way have been a huge rating bonanza. And now have this signature moment, the the, the four-point play, yep. the Halliburton dunk from last night, this proof of concept that, you know, w- when you offer uh, serious financial incentives, you have one bench player who raises the intensity, and guess what? In a competitive sports environment, everyone's going to follow suit. You, you had a playoff atmosphere. They're going to sell this independently. They'll sell the regular season rights, the playoff rights, and then they'll sell the in-season tournament rights to, like, Presented special by Amazon or Apple Plus. That Halliburton dunk wasn't just fun. It created potentially a billion dollars worth of value to the NBA. And like, that, like that, that, we're talking about an $87 million yeah. salary cap in a league that Gary Bettman said has $6 million in revenue. Like, 
you need ingenuity. You need to bring some of that P.T. Barnum spirit because sports are great and entertaining and making meaningful moments like that one is the whole point. It creates an incredible value for all involved. Adam Silver's done it. He's been ahead of the pack. The NHL has been way behind and falling further behind, as last night demonstrated, and I just think that's not good enough. Well, and I think the thing that stands out to me is the NBA being really proactive about it, right? Because the root of the idea for the in-season tournament was that because for a variety of factors, and, you know, in part because of, like, load management and things, there was the perception that the NBA's regular season product had been significantly watered down and that fans were not interested, right? Fans might be NBA fans. And they're right, but they weren't going to be tuning in for a lot of for enough regular season games, and this was supposed to be the antidote to it, and it succeeded in that, giving these games stakes that they otherwise wouldn't have had. And you know, it's not as if that's only a problem in in the NBA, right? In the NHL, load management's not as much of a thing, and teams can kind of trick themselves into thinking they're in the playoff race for a long time because of the way the standings work. But there's also a lot of games that don't really have a lot of stakes in terms of the standings. Like, even the Canucks, unless the Canucks really go in a tailspin, you know, yeah, okay, that game against Calgary, because Calgary would have been only six points back with a game in hand. So that's a significant one. You want to get that. But there's a good chance that there's not a lot of really, truly meaningful games. Like, games where you're like, oh, wow, this is a huge deal if they win or lose this game until we get to the playoffs for this team, right? And that's the case for a lot. It's not just the Canucks. That's the case for a lot of other teams. And, I think that's a tough way when you're trying to sell yourself not just to the hardcore fans who just love watching hockey and will watch, you know, the Canucks or their team every night because that's what they do. But when you're trying to sell to, like, whoever the NBA equivalent of me is, right? Like, guy who loves the sport but just, you know, I end up not making that much time for it. Like, that, you got to give the stakes. you got to put a reason there above and beyond it just being, hey, these guys are really good. You build a miniseries within the within the context of the season. You you manufacture stakes, you manufacture intensity, and, and what happens? Because these athletes are all incredible, just yep. as they are in the NHL, you manufacture great moments. And and what do great moments do? Well, they inspire future generations, and they generate additional dollars and revenue. I mean, it's not, it's not that complicated. And, you know, it wasn't just media. Like, it wasn't just talking heads criticizing Silver for this. It oh, no. It was players. It was LeBron. And fans. Yeah. Like, it was across the board. At the very least, skepticism, skepticism, if not outright, like, derision at the idea that anybody would care about this, right? right. That you'd be able to import the, you know, the European Soccer League Cup model over to North America successfully. And, you know, it's just year one. But the fact, the, the test was always going to be, do the players treat it differently than a regular season? And they did last night. And now we know the yeah. answer. Yeah. And that's it. Well, and it's this, it's this odd thing where it's like, we all hate change as sports fans, mm-hmm. but we all love sports so much that once we have change, we're t- we tend to be into it anyway. Yeah. You know, it, it just takes a little bit of vision, and that's vision that the NHL has just fundamentally lacked for far too long at the very and I think upper reach. It's especially league. striking to me, you know, as the, uh, Gary Batman was speaking at the Board of Governors meeting, and one of the things that has been a big talking point and hang up for me and for a lot of hockey fans is the lack of best on best international play, right? And, well, and there's skepticism about going to the Olympics in 2026 There's skepticism now. about the Olympics in 2026. The World Cup they're talking about in 2025 is not going to be a real. Like, it's going teams. to be at best. Yeah. Uh, they're like, not even going to call filler, it the World Cup. Yeah. Right? So, and that should be a baseline of what you're able to do to grow the game and to market well, and create these opportunities. Especially because this summer. do that. Especially because this summer in Paris, you know, like, I guarantee you, us as Canadians are going to be into it. 
right? Because the Canadian national basketball yeah. team is going to be really good. Shea Gilgis Alexander is yeah. like and top Jamal five Murray. player in the league. Are you kidding me? We have only the Americans will have a better backcourt than the Canadians. Like it's going to be thrilling. Um, so they have that. <laughs> like uh, you know, the NHL's big announcement today is the draft at the Sphere, and in contrast with the NBA having just presented and unfurled this new product that's going to almost immediately be a huge TV rights revenue generator for them, right? It's like they've literally, they literally just debuted The Sopranos last night. Yeah. Like this new miniseries that's going to be the hottest thing, for, not whether, whether you like it or not individually as a listener, for the people bidding on media rights. It's going to be the biggest thing that they want. Um, just, a, just an incredible flex from the NBA commissioner and just the sort of leadership that this sport has not had enough of going back, well... You know, with the exception of the bubble, which I think was a, a, a miracle for the league, with the exception of the bubble, just hasn't had enough of it over the last two decades. And we got, you know, speaking of fans uh, being derisive or, or skeptical of the tournament, somebody texts in, uh, nobody cares about this make-believe tournament. It means nothing. Who cares? You won a few games during the regular season. But the thing is, again, that would be a fine attitude to have if the players didn't care. The only reason we care about the Stanley Cup or the NBA Finals is because it means a ton to the players, Mm. right? Like, that's why we get invested, because we see the emotion it brings out in them. We see the competitiveness it brings out in them. The in-season tournament's not going to bring out the same of these guys, but if it brings out a a significantly higher level, then guess what? Fans are going to care, because that's what we watch for. We watch to see these guys care and compete. Well, and you notice it, too. Like, remember, you know how you watch the preseason? And then you watch the regular season, oh. and you're like, oh, this is the good stuff. Yeah. And then the first day of playoff hockey, and it's you're complete- like, oh, this is the good stuff. This is the really good stuff. Yeah, like, let's let's yeah. let's just do whatever you can to manufacture as many moments yeah. that feel and, – and they do happen in the regular season. Like, one game that I'll always remember is when the Canucks broke the Detroit Red Wings win streak, right, in, in 2012. Um, that was a game that had significance. When the Canucks played the Blackhawks, that had significance. The point is is that the way the NHL schedule is built, it's like you need history and rivalries and bad blood and bad hits or a 20-game win streak lead-up mm. to manufacture those moments where, as like really, you can do it far more easily. You can actually engineer it, and that's sort of what Adam Silver proved It's also, night. you know, it's, what is it, 500000 per player for the winning team, right? Yeah. Which, you know. And across you, the board. If you're Jason Tatum, that doesn't mean a lot to you. But if you're the 12th guy on the Celtics bench, boy, that sure means a lot. That would be even better in the NHL where oh. everyone has to play. You know right. what I mean? Like, the Celtics don't have to play their 12th guy. But in the NHL, if you're getting 500000 to every player, that's almost doubling the salary of a lot of the guys towards the end of the roster who are going to be in the games making meaningful plays. It would have an incredible impact well, uh, and, on the competitiveness of a, those games. And, and an incredible impact on how those guys approach it. And here's what happens, as we saw last night with Nesmith, who went at Tatum, and that completely changed the aura of the game. You get one hit thrown at playoff speed by a guy for whom the financial incentive is massive, yeah. and the whole game becomes intense. Changes. That's just how it is. These guys are way too competitive to not respond that way. That's how athletes are wired. All right, there you go. There are your NBA in-season tournament thoughts here on Canucks Talk. Uh, Canucks and the Devils tonight. The Hughes brothers go at it. Oh, Rogers this is the good stuff. <laughs> okay, settle down back at the control room, fellas. Oh, this is the good stuff. This is... Yeah, it is.
That is the good stuff. Uh, we will uh, we'll wrap it up here. We'll back tomorrow to break down the game. Enjoy it tonight. Uh, just, keep it right here. Just don't play that drop after Jamie says what's up next, <laughs> keep, uh, next keep, show. Keep it right here on Sportsnet 650. Oh, this is the good stuff. <laughs> <laughs>